Thank you. All right. Praise the Lord for the weather, huh? Yeah. It's a fun little surprise. All right, so we're going to dive right in there. Um, any first-timers in here? We don't usually do this anymore. I don't like embarrassing new people, but first-timers? Yeah, one, two, three, four. Okay, quite a bunch. Nice. There's a few. Cool. Well, welcome. My name is Ryan Longfield. Uh, my wife and I, Suki Longfield, are the head pastors of this church. She is at home with our sick child right now, uh, so pray for McKenna, poor little girl. She was literally, this is kind of sad, but it's kind of funny at the same time, she literally from bouncing off the walls, happy, excited in the morning, to laying in our bed and just screaming for like 20 minutes. It was really weird. She's like, ah, 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 and I think she just like didn't know what was going on with her. She somehow, I find this, I, you guys are like, <laughs> you guys are like, who are you? Like, yes, for the newcomers, I'm the head pastor of the church. I laugh when, I laugh when my child gets sick. Um, we've been going through the book of Matthew. Uh, so we've been going line by line through the whole book. And uh, we've been, it's been, um, let's see, about a year and three months or something like that. And we're about halfway through. So we're in chapter 13. I know. I, I, I thought that they're laughing because I thought I could get through it in a year. It's like not a chance. Um, but good, for, good news for anybody who hasn't been here for uh, quite some time. I wanted to stop just at the beginning before we jump into Matthew 13, the last part of it, and I wanted to reiterate some of the themes. I wanted to kind of pan out. And the book of Matthew is really interesting because it's cut up into different blocks. And there's different blocks that have different themes that run through the entire thing, and then you kind of jump into a new block, and there's kind of a different theme that runs through that block. And so in order to have really good theology and in order to understand what is happening in this particular verse, it's really helpful to, to back out, understand the themes that are running through the entire block, and then dive back in. So that's what we're going to do to start, and then we'll get into the text. Um, but I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 11, and I'm not going to read too much scripture here. I'm just going to give kind of a summary of what we've been seeing and what we learned from it. So in Matthew chapter 11, the first thing we see is John the Baptist— uh, he was the, a great prophet who blazed the way for Jesus to come. So he's actually the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, and he was there with him when a dove came out of the sky, and a big booming voice said, this is my son, uniquely, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And uh, beautiful, amazing moment. The part in chapter 11 that we see that hits with the theme of this broader block is John's having a doubt moment. This is not John's best moment of faith. He's stuck in prison, and he's wondering, what the heck am I doing in prison if this guy is the son of God, and I've been following him, and, and he's, you know, he's supposed to be blazing the way for the kingdom of God on the earth. And Jesus said, blessed is he who's not offended by me, is what he tells John. And so what we see in this story, and we also see in the, in, the story, in the stories right after that, is that the kingdom and the way that Jesus works, the way that God works on the earth, is oftentimes very subtle. It's oftentimes very mysterious. It's oftentimes where you stop and you go like, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't come as a carpenter. I wouldn't come as a guy who grabbed 12 fishermen and made those my crew. He does things in a strange way, and that strange way is oftentimes seemingly very weak, and it's seemingly very fragile, and it's seemingly very uh, kind of ordinary. 
And so this is the first glimpse way back in Matthew chapter 11. All of these themes sound familiar because I've been talking about, talking about them in Matthew chapter 13. But they start in Matthew chapter 11 with John the Baptist. And then we read this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was pleasing for you to do. So we get, get this theme at the end of Matthew chapter 11, it's basically like God kind of doesn't reveal truth in the same way to everybody. God, God puts truth out there, and then depending upon how we respond to it, it either blesses our life, we get understanding, or it doesn't, and it kind of, we go down this other path where just the kingdom doesn't affect you in any way in particular. And so people can interact with the same Jesus, the same piece of truth, the same word of God. One gets totally blessed, their life goes in this direction. The other one is just like, that felt pretty ordinary. Who's that? That's Jesus. That's the carpenter's son, right? That's the one we're talking about? Yeah, I heard that message. It was aight. Right? And they just kind of go on. And we see this throughout. This is what the whole thing is about. It's throughout the whole thing. The Pharisees don't accept Jesus because they have a lot to lose and they're caught in their religious mindsets. Jesus' own family is standing outside while he's teaching his disciples. His own family is standing outside and it's, a, it's, a, it's imagery of what's going on in their hearts. They're disconnected from him. They're still trying to figure it out. They're still not in a place where they're like, wow, this, this is the one in the way that the disciples are, where they're just sitting at his feet, hungry to learn from him. And so there's this very interesting thing that's happening throughout the whole thing. It's very consistent all the way through chapter 11, 12, and then we get into 13, and we read the same thing. It's this parable of the sower, it's called, where Jesus talks about how the seed, the word of God, is going out. Some are dramatically affected, and some it just bounces off their heart. And this seed, the word of God, is the most powerful thing in the universe. It's the word of God. It's the same thing that when he spoke, it blasted the universe into existence. But when it hits a hard heart, when it hits somebody who doesn't understand its value, there's no effect. There's no transformation. For one, it leads to a hundredfold fruit in their life. For the other, it leads to zero. And so that's where we pick up. That's where we pick up in this, in this new passage of Scripture. These are the themes that are running through and, and, it, and it continues right where we left off. So here we go in verse 44, if, uh, if we want to read together. I don't think it's up there today. Matthew 13, 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went out and sold all he had and bought that field. So Jesus went from preaching to the masses, and now he's talking to his disciples. So now it's just a small room of people who decided to, to stay behind. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went out, he sold everything he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw away the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace. When there, then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Do you understand all of these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. So this will be the last passage in this block. And it kind of concludes with Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. So let's start by unpacking some of these because some of them feel pretty obvious and then some of them feel a little bit less accessible. So the first one, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. And then it talks about a pearl merchant who's looking for great pearls and he finds one of great value and then he goes and sells everything he bought. The consistent thing that we see in both of these passages clearly is that these people stumble upon a great treasure. In the sense of the man in the first story, it's hard to tell whether he was like treasure hunting or whether he just came across it. In the second one, it's clear that he was seeking it out. There's like a determination. This is what this person does. He's a pearl merchant. I think the point in both of the stories is, is that they understand immediately that they found something of incredible value. So much so that it compels them to, to leave the thing, go sell everything that they've got in order to buy this thing. And so I think the, the, the point of this first parable or what we see very clearly straight out of the gates is identification of this thing of value. Oh my gosh, what's the response no-brainer. Even in the first one, it says, with great joy, he goes home and he sells his car. He puts his house on the market, right? Like, let's, like, let's make this real. He goes home, he sells his laptop, you know, like, for students. <laughs> it's like a little easier to liquidate. You're like, okay, my laptop. Okay, that's it. Um, who knows, right? For the pearl merchant, this is kind of a, this is a position where the person's got some money. This person's a business person. So it probably would have looked like, wow, I'm selling my shop. I'm selling my house. I'm selling my donkey. You know, like whatever it is, there's like this liquidation event. But for both of them, it seems like a no-brainer. And, and for me, it takes me right back to the calling of the disciples. You know, whenever I read about the calling of the disciples earlier in Matthew, there's this time where Jesus is kind of strolling along and he says, leave your nets and follow me. And they just like, the way it's written, they just drop their nets and they start following him. It's almost like the, it's a no-brainer. And, and their nets, is, that's their whole business. That's their whole livelihood for their family. So it's, it's this moment where they, they see something of value. They see, in this case, the one of value. And they go, this is the easiest decision I've ever made. Now, even in explaining that, there's a couple of things that, that are going on there. Whenever I read kind of the, the, the story of the disciples, and even when I read this, there's something that kind of hits me, and I realize that this is either great news or really bad news, depending upon your vantage point. Some people could hear this and go, oh my gosh, all it requires of me to get the pearl of great price is what I have? And then other people would be like, oh my gosh, like he actually requires it all? And it has everything to do with your starting vantage point. In fact, Jesus in other parts in the Gospels, he says, blessed are the poor, 
for theirs is the kingdom. In another part in the Gospels, he says, harder is it a rich, for a rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And it's, it's this moment, and I'll, I'll be the first one to confess, usually when I interact with this scripture, it's one of those challenging ones where I'm like, man, I feel like I have a lot to lose. Right? I feel like this mostly feels like bad news in the sense that I'm like, all of it, Lord? You know, like, I kind of feel like I have a lot. And Jesus just sees this from a completely different vantage point. The way that Jesus would see this is like, wait, wait, wait. Like, listen to the parable. In their great joy, they give this thing because they understand that they're trading something of such lesser value for something of greater value. Like, this, this to the poor is great news. Wait, wait, wait. I give my nothing for your everything? That's the trade that you have for me, Jesus? I give my nothing for your everything? But if we have stuff, then it starts to become this thing where we're like, well, do you really provide everything? You know, you start to like question the kingdom side because it's like, you know, you're, you're doing your pros and cons thing. It's like, I've got some stuff. If I lay down this, then is this side really good enough? And what Jesus says to that is, harder is it for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus just sees with a completely different vantage. He just says, with great joy, he sells everything. And the thing that's so interesting is that, you know how much that thing costs for these people? Exactly everything they have. Exactly everything they have. That's how much it costs. And I love that he didn't put a price on it, right? He didn't put a great price on it. He didn't put a small price on it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. What you have, that's perfect. <laughs> what you've got, that's what I'm looking for, right? But I think, like, this is supposed to be a challenging scripture. This should be. I think for most of us, when we read this and it's like, wait, everything? It's, it's one of those moments where you're like, Wow. Like, discipleship, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the little thing that you add to your life as seasoning. It's not the thing that you just make a flippant decision about and be like, yeah, I want to follow that dude, Jesus. Jesus is a hardcore. Jesus is radical. Jesus is like, no, 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 like, if you're going to do this, we're going to do this all the way, 100%. Let's go. Uh, I, I stumbled upon my journal from my honeymoon this last week. Yeah. Do you notice who's yelling, read it, read it? It's the woman who just got engaged. Soon enough, Christina, you'll get yours. Hey, Cancino, I think that was you. That was your mind, not mine. All right, we're moving on. So I found my prayer journal from my honeymoon this weekend. And, uh, and for those of you guys who don't know, there, there's some new folks in here. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about our honeymoon, and then I'll, I'll share with you what happened in my journal. So uh, Suki and I went to, we started in Rome, and we were going to spend two weeks traveling around Italy. 
we were going to start in Rome. We were going to do like four days in Rome, and then we were going to cruise and drive up to Florence through like the wine region, enjoy some Chianti, hang out in an Adirondack chair on some winery out in the middle of nowhere, hang out in Florence for a little bit, and then end up in Venice and uh, cruise in some boats and eat some good food, etc. So we had this whole trip planned out. Um, my parents had paid for it. Thank you. Uh, my mom's in the front row. Um, and, uh, and so we get to Rome, and we're like the third day in, right after jet lag had gone, gone, you know, by the wayside. And I'm praying one morning, and I feel the Lord say to me, like, pretty clearly, wait on me in Rome. Wait on me in Rome. And now, this is the cost-benefit analysis thing that I was just talking about, right? Like, on the cost side... What the heck, Lord? Are you trying to ruin my honeymoon? Right? Like, what does that mean? Are you telling me to, like, scrap all my plans and not drive through the Italian countryside drinking Chianti on an Adirondack chair and then going, you know, like, <laughs> I have plans for my life, Lord, right? And so that's on the cost side. And then on the benefit side, there was nothing more in my heart than, than I wanted to, than to be intimate with Jesus, right? And so I'm like, did I miss here? Like, what happened here? And... After a day of struggling with it, I finally told my new wife, and she was like, oh, if that's like what the Lord said, we should do that. I'm like, this is the woman I married, right? Like, this is awesome. I totally had fears that she'd be like, are you crazy? Like, what are you thinking? This is, you know, no way. And so we, uh, we go down, and um, I, I go down to kind of like the internet cafe or whatever. I cancel our trip um, to Florence. And, um, and we don't know what we're doing, right? We're just like, wait on me in Rome. What the heck does that mean? So we start having fun in Rome. We're eating gelato and having pizza. And like, I'm, I'm having these intimate, quiet times with the Lord that are the most powerful I've ever had in my life. Just like immediately following the decision to not go, immediately following the decision to, to terminate the next leg of the journey. I started having these prayer times with the Lord where I'd lay on the bed and I could feel the pulses of his favor and his love over my life in a way that I'd just lay there and I'd be like, oh my God, like, Lord, I've been dreaming that you would do this, you know, like I've been dreaming that this is what it would feel like to, to be close to you. And uh, so, you know, I'm having these times and I'll get up from them and I'll be like, Suki, you have, you, I mean, you have no idea what, you know, like, God's bringing me back to stuff in my past and healing my wounds and like this is crazy stuff. And I was like, "How is it for you?" She's like, "Meh." You know? <laughs> Clearly, the glory wasn't reaching her half of the room or something. I don't know. But but it was like you know like wow, I wouldn't trade this for anything. And you know the next morning I'll get in I'll I'll, I'll start my prayer time, and uh, and I'll be like. The first item for prayer was, Lord, are we released from Rome yet? Right? And then, and then I'd kind of like not get a really answer, and then, you know, I'd go into these deep, quiet times, and then the next one would be like, so are we released from Rome yet? Should we cancel the rest, or should we keep it? And one of the mornings, the Lord just kind of like spoke to me in my spirit and was just like, do you understand how disrespectful that is? Like, do you understand that you're not seeing as I see right now. Like, that I kept taking this thing that I had given up for him, that I had traded, you know, our honeymoon, 
which felt like a lot to me, I think rightly so, and he knew that, for these moments that would change the rest of my life where he heals my past, he heals my wounds, he fills me with his love, gives me a testimony of his presence, like all of this stuff over here, he's kind of just like, do you understand that when you do that, that you're not operating in the way that I think? Do you understand that that's, that's clinging to stuff that it just doesn't even compare to this other stuff? And I feel like that's exactly what's going on in these passages, is that there's stuff in our life, and it's like, God doesn't like want us to just give all of our stuff away because he's mean and because he didn't want me to travel Italy or whatever it is, right? He wants all of us. In a relationship where one party is giving all of them, they expect all of you. In a relationship where somebody asks for 50% or is giving 50%, then they should expect 50%. And so the reason why Jesus can do this and ask for these things without hesitation is because he knows he's all in. That's never the question. God is all in. He sent his son to die a miserable death so that he could be reconciled with humanity. He is 100% all in. He's pushed all his chips into the middle. And so he's not like a, a scared first date where they're like, will you accept me? Right? He's like, hey, I'm all in. I've risked. Here's my heart. I've risked already. I'm all in. What's your response? And to, to do this thing right, it's 100% Jesus and it's 100% us. And the way that he sets that up is, you give me your miserable little pennies and I'll give you the kingdom. But it requires your miserable little pennies. <laughs> right? All that you have is what he requires. And I think, if I'm honest with you, this is, you know, this is challenging. This is like, it's so much easier to sprinkle a little Jesus seasoning on your life unto the great life that you have planned for yourself. Right? It's like, I've got this vision for my life. I'm going in this direction. I've got plans. It's not to do bad things. Like, they're probably good things. And I'll just add, you know, like, let's add some Jesus for my joy. And that's not at all what we see set up here. There's this, there's this passage in the Old Testament that I love. And what we see is, we see David having this moment where the temple has just been built in Jerusalem. And he's so excited that he rips off all his clothes and he runs through the street worshiping. What is it with the Old Testament and ripping off your clothes, by the way? Like, you know, like, the nation's in sin, I'm going to rip off all my clothes. The temple is built, I'm going to rip off all my clothes. It's like, no matter what comes, rip off all your clothes and run through the street. But there's this awesome moment where the temple is built. The temple is built in Jerusalem. And David is like, the presence of God is in the middle of my city. I've been longing for this moment. And he rips off all his clothes. And he runs through the street worshiping. And I think it's one of his, one of his wives, right? That says like, yeah. Huh? Yeah. One, one, of the wi- one of his wives is mad and embarrassed. Like, you're acting a fool. What are you doing? 
Like, get a hold of yourself. You know, like, what? Why? Like, I don't even understand. What are you doing? And I think, J- I think David is probably equally shocked at her lack of response. Right? He's probably looking back on her being like, don't you get it? Like, what other response would I have except to be, just to go completely, like, out of my mind? The presence of God has just been set up in our city. Like, this changes everything. And so it's, it's like we were talking about before. Whether this is good news or whether this is a bummer has everything to do with our vantage. For one person, they're like, you're a fool. What are you doing? And the other person, they're like, no, no, don't you get this? This is the opportunity of a lifetime. This just happened. The kingdom is here. Jesus just showed up. He said that his kingdom is with him. This changes everything. All of history will pivot around this moment. How else would you reply except to give everything? But it has everything to do with our vantage. And so the challenge that I'd give for us is it's this consistent theme that we've been talking about through Matthew 11, 12, and now we get into 13. And the theme is he who has ears, let him hear. He has eyes, let him see. And so I think the challenge that I throw out for us in this is one, I think there's a challenge that like, man, this thing, don't enter this thing lightly. This is, to follow Jesus is no joke. He gives everything, but he requires everything. But as we do this, if we're not like David in our response to the call for discipleship, where it's like, oh, you get all of my stuff? Awesome, take it. I get all of yours, I'm in. Can I rip off my clothes and run around the building? <laughs> if, that, if that's like, if that's not our response, don't do that, please. <laughs> if that's not our response, then we're not seeing as he sees, and we're not hearing as he hears. I love that Jesus is this confident. He's like, hey, if you could see correctly, this would be enough. Right? If you could see correctly, you'd understand that the king is on the scene and he brought his kingdom and everything else doesn't matter anymore. I love that he's that bold. But I think for us, if we go back to the parable of the sower at the beginning of Matthew 13, what's the action item for us? In that parable, there were certain people that ended up seeing like Jesus at the end of that parable and most didn't. And the pivotal moment was who stuck around long enough at the feet of Jesus to gain understanding. And so if this gives us any kind of action item, one, I would say, challenge yourself that if you're following Jesus, the life that you've signed up for is you're giving everything. And the second part is, if that's not good news, then you gotta get before the feet of Jesus and be like, I'm not seeing clearly. I clearly am not seeing the value of the kingdom the way you see it, because this should be the easiest thing that I've ever done. And so open my eyes. Let me see, let me understand, like this parable. Let that, that seed that you've germinated in the depths of me, let it, let it bubble up, let it transform me from the inside out. Let it carry the kingdom power that I know lies in that seed and let it do its work through me such that I see as you see and hear as you hear, think as you think and walk as you walk where this stuff is like, yeah. Oh, you want me to sell that too? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, you want me to quit my job? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, you want me to do, yeah. Anything for you, king. Anything for you, king, right? There's a, there's a guy named Chris Overstreet. He's a very, he's seen a ton of fruit in terms of 
bringing Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. And so he'll go into the streets and have these very powerful encounters with people in the streets. And my good friend Nancy over here has been praying for stuff like that. She's been praying like, man, I want more boldness. I want to be able to see fruit in that way. And so I told her yesterday that Chris and his team is coming into town to do some ministry stuff, and they needed a place to stay in San Francisco. And she's like, oh my gosh, yes, me. The guys stay upstairs. We stay downstairs. He can stay upstairs. It'll be awesome. Yes, Cancino. But as I was prepping for this, I realized that this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's not just like the choice for Jesus or, or not for Jesus. This is everything in the kingdom. Like Nancy's response could have been completely different if she didn't care about the things of the kingdom. It would have been like, wait, wait, wait. Three like sweaty dudes after doing a video shoot in the streets of San Francisco want to come sleep on my house. Like, and she's like, I'll give them, you know, like they can stay in my room. I don't care. I'll like sleep on the couch. You know, like she was just like all in. And I was like, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's not just the Jesus or no Jesus. It's like, do you see as he sees? Because then the, then the decisions become easy. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy that is walking and the thing that I want to walk wants to come into my house and like I can honor him and maybe he'll pray for me. And like her value system is just lined up in, in such a way that the kingdom choice is the kingdom choice. It's like, yeah, with great joy I'll do that. With great joy I'll sleep on the floor. With great joy I'll stay up till midnight because they're going to come in, you know, like late. It's like, that's exactly what we're talking about. The way you see changes the response completely. And so we need to get to before the Lord and just get on our face and be like, God, I need to see as you see because I can feel the resistance and I want your spirit to work that out of me. There's another piece of this that comes later in the parable that I want to talk about as well. So the final parable has this interesting, this interesting part where it says, um, it says, have you understood these things? So Jesus provides them the understanding, right? He just taught them. He just unveiled truth to them. Here you go. Do you understand these things? Yes. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is awesome. I love this because what Jesus is doing here is he turns it to now where the disciples are in the parable. He even says it. He says, uh, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, that's who's sitting in front of him. So they're like, ooh, this is me. And then they say, has become the owner of the house. Ooh, now I got some stuff, right? Like I, I'm the owner of the house. I've got some stuff. And not only do I have some stuff, like I have a house, I've got storehouses. There's this storeroom of treasures, both new and old storeroom of treasures, that as a disciple, as I see fit, I can go in and I can be like, yes, you, yes, you, you will accomplish my means. And then you do whatever you need to do with your treasures in your storehouses. And so there's this, like, I love this because there's this beautiful moment of discipleship where Jesus' disciples are sitting around him. He teaches them the cost of the kingdom, and he goes, hey, like, you get me, but what you also get is a life where you have access to the kingdom 
in a way that your purpose is completely different. Now you're a disciple of the kingdom. When you go out as my representatives, you go into your storehouses and you go, yes, I need some wisdom. Yes, I need some finances to, to feed the sick. Boom. Yes, I need some wisdom to make the right decision in my workplace so that the people who work in my organization will be blessed. Yes, here's some wisdom. There's this like access to the storerooms that is clearly the point of this parable. And he says, teachers of the law who have become disciples of the kingdom. There's this marrying of the history of Israel with what Jesus is bringing in the kingdom. And he says, all of these are treasures. And as you interact with me, as you become my student, as a disciple of the kingdom, I unpack all of these things and they turn from something that looks ordinary into treasures that can heal the world. And then you, as my disciples, can enter in and you have access to the deep things of God to do my work in the world. And so it's almost like it's almost like he can't help himself to talk about the benefits that come on the other side of being his disciple. You know, he's like, yeah, here's the cost, but check this out. Once you're a disciple, you have access to the storerooms. Then you get the stuff that I'm doing, like you get to do that stuff in the world. Look at that purpose. You know, and it's like you get Jesus, and then with Jesus, you get the rest. You get the purpose. You get a life that isn't trivial anymore. You know, in Matthew 6, it says, like, don't seek after provisions of the world. Like, seek after my kingdom and my righteousness and all that stuff. That'll be added to you. He's like, live in a different way. When you're my disciple, you live in the kingdom way. You don't, like, fret about your job, and am I going to lose my job, and I'm going to pay my bills? It's like, no, no, no. You make yourself about me, I'll make myself about you. I guarantee you, you'll never lack and that's the trade here. He's like, hey, become my disciple. You'll have access to the storerooms. You'll be a homeowner. You'll have responsibilities that really matter. And you'll have the provision to operate out of that. So there's this like very clear, I mean, this, this passage is so clear. It just talks about treasure all the way through it. Things of great value. And Jesus is setting up this thing. He's like, he's like this is what we're talking about. Do you want to go 100% with me? Because I'm all in. And if you do, I've got this life behind you. But you got to see as I see if you're going to make these decisions. I'll tell you one of the hardest things, in my opinion, about discipleship is feeling challenged to make the decisions as if I saw like he saw before I see like he sees. Isn't that the hardest part? Like, you get serious about Jesus, and you're like, Jesus, like, I really want to do this thing. Like, I really want to do this thing. And I really want to do it all the way. But I think if we're all honest, we don't yet see like he sees. And that's the point. Neither do the disciples in this passage. So the point is you come to Jesus, and you come to him with a humble heart, and you go, Jesus, I don't see like you see. That's why I still need you. Jesus, I don't see like you see. That's why I need your empowering work inside of me. And then we do our best in the meantime to make decisions as if we did. When I was in Rome, that was hard. That was super hard. I wrestled with God for like two days over that thing. 
And I was like, God, you're ruining my honeymoon. No, you're not. We just had a great moment together, but you're ruining my honeymoon. You know, it's like, it was wrestling. And every time I've wrestled with God in that way, where he asks me for something real and big, and I end up doing it, there's such blessing on the other side. Such bless. Every area of my life where there's blessing, there was a call to surrender before I felt ready to surrender. Every time. The Lord told me to lay down my marriage before we got married. So I told Suki six months before we were, our wedding day that we weren't going to do it, and it was indefinitely on hold because the Lord told me to do it. And I knew it was going to rip her apart. I was weeping. Weeping. And was the Lord just being like diabolical or like, you know, like, no, of course not, right? He wanted my heart, and I think at the time, more importantly, Suki's whole heart to be anchored in him, not anchored to each other. But I didn't know that at the time. It took me just saying yes, weeping my brains out, and then getting to the other side and being like, your ways are perfect. Every area of my life where there's blessing, I felt challenged to lay something down before I was ready. And it's the life of discipleship. It's never-ending surrender. <laughs> we want it to be a one-time event, but it ain't. It's the life we've signed up for. And so to that, let's worship. Can I get the team to come on up? But in all seriousness, let's, let's do some real business to the, with the Lord. There's going to be a prayer team that's up here. Whether you want to just get your heart before the Lord and partner with somebody else and just say, like, I want to give it all to Jesus. And so I'm going to give him my yes and then trust that the Spirit of God comes behind it and empowers my yes. That is a beautiful, beautiful prayer to the Lord. You know why? Because it's packed with humility. I'm going to give you my yes my whole life. My whole life, I'll give you my yes. And the only way I can say this without knowing immediately that I'm a liar before I even say it is because I trust in your spirit to come right behind it and empower my yes. If I'm left on my own, it's not going to happen. You can't do life following God without God. He won't allow us to do it. And so what I'd invite you to do, especially for those of you who have never really walked with Jesus, I'd invite you to come up and get prayer and make that your prayer. Jesus, I want all in, but I know how weak I am inside. I know it's inside of here. You have to empower behind this thing if it's going to mean anything at all. So let's do some business with the Lord, whether it's about that or whether it's about something else. Let's pray, and then we'll get into some worship, and you guys can come up and get some prayer ministry. Well, Lord, I just, I thank you, God, that the good news of this passage is that all that we have is all that you require. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would help us in this time. God, I pray that this would not just be another word that goes forth on a Sunday at church, that there would be this boldness and this determination thing that rises up in the hearts of your people that says, I am going to do this. I am going to go all the way after this. And I make this statement based upon my faith in your strength, not on the faith in my strength. God, I pray that this would be a moment where many lives are changed, that many disciples are created, 
And God, for those, of you, for those of us who have been walking with you for some time, God, I pray for a fresh fire, God, to see as you see. God, a fresh fire in our hearts that would burn to say, I have to see like Jesus if I'm going to operate in the world like Jesus. God, would you transform us by the renewing of our minds, and would you come and give us the privilege of seeing as you see and hearing as you hear. God, for those in the room who have felt stuck in that area, God, I pray that you would embolden them to come get prayer tonight. And God, that even as we worship you, God, that you would start to move in our minds and our hearts, God, in a way that would allow us to sit at your feet and to learn from you and to understand your kingdom and the value that comes with it in a new way. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do your work in this place because if it's just prayer ministry or if it's just a sermon, it's not very much. But we invite you to power it all and change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So whenever you're ready, you can come on forward or you can stay at your seat and worship.